God, we believe that's true in this place. We can come sing of your glory, sing your praise. Whatever's going on in our hearts that our situation that we can throw that aside for a second and proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus so we can say despite our current scenario that we're making the priority right now. And so God, I, I thank you for that. And I thank you that we can sing your praise in, in this place. And we can lift your name. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
just the, the visual of that, of just stepping out into the waters, God, whatever the waters may look like for us, whether it's just the troubles and, and issues we're going through with relationships, with finances, God, or even just trying to understand life's questions. Uh, every day we take a step out. But God, even just thinking about the song we sang before that, the power that belongs to our God who was and is to come, the power that is Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The name of Jesus is, is in his name. We stand in his name. We move forward. Jesus goes behind us. He stands with us. He goes in front of us. And God, that is the power we have. Trust is so difficult, especially in this time of year, just understanding, you know, just with the spring, with spring coming coming, and just with, with the weather changing and, and just hoping for things to get better for so many people. I pray that we would step out and trust to start with today. I pray we'd trust you and step out into the waters. We love you, Jesus. We ask all the things in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. Say hello to those around you. We're glad you're here. excited to be here this morning. Can we, can we get a little excited in the place this morning? Yep, a few of you. It's good. So yesterday we, uh, we had our annual egg hunt. Uh, it was a beautiful, sunny, 70 degrees, and had about 400 children and their families that came up to our church, and we were handing out eggs. We had three different times, and it was just, it was a great day. And it was like, uh, you know, put all, the, like 10,000 eggs out over three different times. Literally, it was like watching a bunch of piranhas take over a turkey leg. You know what I mean? But it was so cool because the kids were excited and they were waiting. And, and so some of you that missed it or maybe heard about it or saw pictures, you want to show a quick recap. So check out this, this video.
So hopefully that was a small recap video for you guys, but I want to share a quick story. So it was great, and, and can we just thank, we just lift up our hands for all the team that served all day yesterday. Can we just thank God for them? Yep. These things only are ha- these things only happen when we tackle them as a church, and so you saw all those people out yesterday serving, and it was, it was truly a humbling experience, and so I can't thank you guys enough for making that happen. Uh, one of the stories that happened right as we were cleaning up, a family came walking down the road, uh, down the field, and the kid just looks out and sees there's nobody there, and the eggs are gone, and, and, and he just starts crying, and I walk over to the family, and he's like, it's all done, but <laughs> I missed it, and you know, obviously that breaks my heart, and I'm thinking, okay, what can we do, and so I'm like, we have a table full of popcorn, I could give the kid enough popcorn for the rest of the week, you know, but I'm just trying to think what's going to help this family a little bit. And so sure enough, I walk over to uh, all the boxes of empty eggs, 10,000 eggs, people completely gone. I look over and there's a small bag of about 15 eggs. And so I put them into his basket and that kid's face just lit up. And so again, we don't always see stories like that, but I think what it was for me was the whole thing was over and here comes this family and we were able to minister to them, to reach out to them. And I think it's a reminder that all of our programs are done. God's still on the move. God's still working. It's just we have to have eyes to see it. And so I'm just so thankful for the team and thankful for everybody that just wrapped up with all the families and encouraging them. I saw some of our team walking around talking to brand new families, and I know that we met a lot of new people. And so we're going to pray uh, just to, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear about how God's going to use yesterday for his glory. So we're excited about what's going to come out of that. Um, if you pass the folders down the aisle, we appreciate that. Let us know uh, you're here as well as if you're new, uh, we just want to say we're glad you're here. If you would do two things, one, you can either fill a little red card in front of you and drop it in the offering plate as it comes by or go talk to the welcome center. They have something to give you and they would love to hear your story and just to connect with you and answer any questions that you may have. But we're, we're glad that you're here and joining us this morning. Um, a couple things to highlight one. We have our mission camp coming up this this summer for our student ministry. Um, information is up on our website. It's called Mission Camp, and it's going to be a week-long uh, camp that's going to double as a serving opportunity, and it's also going to be a camp experience for our for our students. So, so go check out more information on our website. You can contact Pastor Eric if you have any questions about that. But um, those are phenomenal experiences. I've taken students on the past. It's a great experience, so make sure you check that out. This week on Good Friday, we're going to be here at 7 o'clock. It's going to be a night of drama, of worship, and communion as we celebrate Jesus. And so after that, Saturday, um, so after Friday night, we're having Saturday the next day at 6 o'clock, and then Sunday at 9.30 and 11 o'clock, we'll have our Easter services. As you leave, you'll see these little circle invites. Um, Grab as many as you'd like, but these are just a way for you to take that with you and to share that with somebody. Invite someone to come sit with you at one of the services this week. And so we believe that this is just a tiny little way, but the best thing is it's going to come from you inviting them. So that's what I want to challenge us all to take a couple or take as many. If you want to take a stack and you're going to use them, go for it. They're here for you guys to share what's going on this week and to invite someone this week to one of our services. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward as we receive our offering this morning. And if you're new with us, please feel free to let the plate pass. And this is for those 
we call this church their home. Uh, but you're welcome to participate. The reason why we receive an offering every week is so we can give towards the mission to see lives changed by Jesus Christ. Just like the family you heard about yesterday and the many families that were impacted, that's what the monies go to. So it's local, it's national, it's international impact. All God's kingdom. And so we're excited about what he's going to do as we give of our resources. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we love you. And as we we give now from our, our resources, our finances, I pray that in this moment we would just feel like we're doing something bigger than ourselves. That we would, as we give as a church body, as we give as a group of people that love you and that we would understand, God, that there's something so much bigger than ourselves, and that's the body. That's the body of believers, of people that are following Jesus, that are, are wanting to see lives change. And so, God, we give uh, to know that you, and give, we give knowing, God, that you're always on the move. And you're impacting families left and right. And so I pray that we would feel a little bit bigger than ourselves as we give. And Lord, I know that you're on the move in Finleyville and Pittsburgh and in our country. And God, we may not always see or hear, but God, you are always on the move. And so I pray that in this moment, God, we would just trust you with our resources as we step out into the waters that's called life. We trust you with our relationships, with our children, with our futures. We'd give all that into your hands and trust you as we step onto the waters. We love you, Jesus, and we know that you're going to do big things this week. Ask all things in your name. Amen. It's Palm Sunday, and as we wrap up our series on the I Am statements of Jesus, today we're going to look at the Palm Sunday, uh, what actually happened on Palm Sunday. I'm going to show you an I Am statement of Jesus this morning, and maybe two if I get it all in, all right? But uh, we're going we're gonna to look here this morning. I want you to see this powerful statement. But as we, as we head into this, I want to remind you, we have been looking at Jesus and trying to understand who he is for who he is. Uh, and I've said this many times, that if you try to put God into this small little box, you have a, a distorted view of Jesus. You do not understand because you are missing out so much. If you try to put him into this box that says he'll do what I want him to do, when I want him to do, and he'll do this, that is so limited because Ephesians 3.20 says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask or think. And so today as we move forward into the, uh, to the events of Palm Sunday, I want to remind you that Palm Sunday is one of eight events that are recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospel writers. They give us the, life, the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, uh, compilations of eyewitness accounts. And we see these, these events happen. And one of the eight events that's covered in all four of the Gospels is Palm Sunday. So therefore, I find it uh, important that we should look at it and look at it here today. As the world has celebrated Palm Sunday today, and we're coming in uh, to Easter, we have Good Friday, Next Sunday being Easter, we call it Resurrection Sunday, and that is the day that, uh, j- that we celebrate Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I want to remind you that Palm Sunday is the first day of the last week of the life of Jesus. And so as, as we celebrate this today, think about this. It's the first day of the last week of the life of Jesus here on earth, and Palm Sunday is important to understand Easter. 
Because if, you, if we don't see the Palm Sunday, we don't see the, the, the swelling, the uprising, the high moment, uh, you, we won't truly understand Easter because this is, this is part of the, the things that have actually happened. And so as we jump into this today, I want you to see that Palm Sunday, the I am statement is, I am the king. And if you're taking notes, you can fill in the blank there, I am the king. And so Jesus doesn't come out and verbally say it. Uh, This is one of those statements that I'm going to show you this morning. It is God's signet. God says, uh, this is my king. This this is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And Jesus himself is saying, I am the king. When he rides into Jerusalem that day on that donkey. And so uh, uh, let's let's be mindful that, that he is the king. While he didn't verbally say it, he says, I am the king. And, uh, and, and, and let's look here today at Luke chapter 19, verse 28, and uh, we're going to begin. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in your Bible. It will also be on the screen, and uh, we read this morning, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass that when he came near to Bethpage and Bethany and the mountain called Olives, Uh, that he sent to two of his disciples. He sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied and on which one uh, and on which no one has never sat on. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Then you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, uh, so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said unto them. Verse 33, but as they were losing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you losing the colt? In other words, why are you taking my colt? And they said, the Lord has need of them. Then the colt brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sent, him, and they sent Jesus on him. And as, as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Uh, Over in Mark 11, we see that uh, not only did they spread their clothes on the road, it says many spread their clothes on the road and and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I believe John actually uses the word palm. So we get the palm branch there. That's Palm Sunday. And so uh, they, they would take the outer, their outer garments and they would lay them on the road, kind of a red carpet treatment, if you will. Luke 19:37 Then as uh, as he was now drawing near the descent of the mount of olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest And so uh, to understand this this morning I want to give you just a little bit of background Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. In that day, it was the capital of Israel. And so it it was not a massive city, but it was their capital. And that was the center of worship. There was a temple there. And so you could see the temple. It's this massive white building you could see for miles away. And as you would see this this temple, the the people of Israel would come there, and it it was an exciting place to be. It was a part of their heritage. Uh, it, was, uh, it was not just a monument place, but it was a place where they actually came with their heart, a place that they came to worship. And Rome, remember, Rome had, uh, had, was, uh, Israel was under the occupation of Rome. 
they have been so for roughly 100 years. And so under the Roman occupation, the, the Roman oppression, if you will, there's a lot of tension between the Jews, between the, the, uh, the Romans and the Jews. And so there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of animosity because uh, the, these people want to be free. They, they don't want to be under the Roman Empire, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, this all happened in A.D. 33, the year 33. Uh, every Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem. And so this is what was happening. Every Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And what they would do is they would take their, uh, they would take their lamb. <clears throat> they would take their lamb and they would go to the, to the place of sacrifice. And, uh, and, and actually on, on this day they would go in and they would choose their lamb. And that this would be their time of, of sacrifice during the Passover. So I want you to catch this this morning that, uh, that the, the town is swelling. It is more than 10 times its population. There's probably about 3 million people that have converged upon Jerusalem for this act of worship. All these men, listen, people from all over Israel, they've been scattered. People would take miles away. You read many of the Psalms. Many of the Psalms are songs that they sang on the way to worship, on their way to this annual, your your yearly pilgrimage, where they would come and they would have the Passover sacrifice, where they they would uh, sacrifice this lamb in, in 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 their temple. The filling is electric. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus is now coming in, and, uh, and, and the people are, are feeling the excitement, and uh, there's, there's a momentum that's built, and they're saying, this guy's going to deliver us from Rome. Uh, and what this was, folks, this was the promise of God was being fulfilled. God is a promise keeper. And so when he says something, he follows through with it. So God fulfilled his promise that day. He comes over the Mount of Olives, and he says, I want a donkey. And he tells his disciples, just go over and uh, t- tell them at the next town you're going to find a donkey and take it. And, and then, by the way, if they ask you why you're taking the donkey, just say the Lord needs it. Now, could you imagine that? Could you imagine me sending somebody, hey, Luke, uh, go down here to the car dealership. Just grab a car that's never been driven and bring it up for me, you know? Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a very fancy one. Just get me the Chevette, you know, and, and just bring up a Chevette that's never been driven before, right? Some of you don't know what a Chevette is. I'm sorry, all right? So it's, uh, it was a very small car. That's what you had when you were in college, when you were in, all right, and, and move on for it, right? But that's, that's what it would be like. Go over there and just get this. What? And, and, and could you imagine being one of the disciples and Jesus says to you, hey, just go do this. You'd be like, Really? I'm so, number one, I'm going to really trust that there's a, a, a Chevette over there, right? I'm going to really trust that there's a donkey, and I'm going to trust I'm not going to get shot when I steal this man's donkey. And so, so he goes over there, and they're not stealing, but he, he comes over, and he, and he loses, the, loses the, 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 the donkey, and the owner comes out and says, what's going on? He says, well, the, the Lord needs it. And so when Jesus said that, he was saying not of himself that he needed a ride. He said, God needs it. He was referring to God the Father. He says, tell them that God has a plan. God has a plan, and this plan is coming to fruition. This, can, this plan is coming to fulfillment today. He did this to fulfill prophecy that had been prophesied 500 years earlier. Uh, Matthew tells us in his account, he says in verse t- Matthew 21, he says that all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by 
the prophet. And then he goes on ahead and he quotes the, 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 the prophecy. And it actually comes from Zechariah 9. So if you go and you read Zechariah chapter 9, this was written 500 years before Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, so I mean, this, is, this was the, the, the word here that Matthew had used. He said this was the fulfilling. And as you look here, it says, behold, your king is coming. Uh, you know, when you see the word fulfilled, I want you to catch this, because uh, the, when Matthew said this, would be, this was a fulfillment, it wasn't just, hey, the prophet said it, and hey, it happened. He was saying the prophet said it, and it actually happened, but there's a truth behind why it happened. So when it is fulfilled, the fulfillment is not just that A and A happened. He said it like this, and it actually happened. It was, he said like this, he actually happened, and look at the truth of why it's happening. And the truth of why it's happening here is that God is coming. He says, behold, your king is coming to you. When, when Jesus rode in on that donkey that day, it was the king is coming. God is in control. You know, a king is in control. When you think of a king, he's in control. A king is sovereign. A king has absolute authority. A king has power. He comes to his people. Uh, th- this was God with us, as John told us. This was the fulfillment of the promises of God. The long-awaited king has finally arrived. And look at the way that he comes. The way he comes, he is lowly and he is gentle and he's riding on a donkey. I would say that's a position of humility, wouldn't you? Anybody ever ridden a donkey? Raise your hand if you've ridden a donkey. Okay, one, two, okay, three, three brave souls. I've had the privilege of doing that. I was on, we were on a mission trip in Haiti when I was in high school. There was no saddle. They had like a, just the, you know, the thing, the, the, whatever it was, a, a blanket, and they put it over that. And I rode down this mountainside. And I'll never forget, because, um, you know, it, it wasn't too comfortable of a ride. I'll just tell you, I remember every moment of that ride. It's just like you're going down, and you know that spine. You could just feel the spine of that donkey. I'm like, oh, my. And, and you're just, you're, it didn't smell too good. There was nothing exciting about that donkey ride. As a matter of fact, I think I got off and walked the second half of the journey because I was scared to death. You know, this, this donkey taking you down a hillside. It's a lowly place. And I'll never forget, we, they took us, we were in Haiti, and they took us down this mountain path and all the way into this village down there. And, and we were just fearing for our lives. I didn't, think, I didn't think they'd ever see us again, you know, because you're on a donkey on a mountainside. And here was Jesus. He comes in not in great power. This is a very low place. This is a place of humility. This is... This is um, this is humbling. He's gentle and a position of lowliness riding on a donkey. And Jesus, when he was on that donkey, folks, he was, he was still in complete authority. He was God. He was the king. And, and you know what? I, I want you to remember that John tells us that this Jesus was present at creation. 
He created the world. He was there at the foundations of the world. So this Jesus leaves heaven, comes in the form of a baby, lives a perfect life, does no sin. And now he is, he's on the last Sunday of his life, riding on a donkey, humbly going into the town of Jerusalem. And you know what I want you to catch is that humility is power under control. That's what it is. It doesn't mean that God didn't have no power sitting on a, on a, uh, on a donkey. It means that he had power and it was under control. It was in a, a position of humility. And as he rides down on that donkey, he's got, he, he, he's got the, you know, I, I, I'm envisioning they, they put their clothes on. That meant their outer garment. So they would take their outer garment and they would lay it over top of the donkey. And here's Jesus sitting on the, on the donkey and he's coming in and, uh, and it's lowly place. Folks, I want you to remind you that God still works in humble ways. Jesus is humble. He's a, he's, he's a God of, he's a very humbling God. And he is, he comes and he works in many humble ways. And I want you to understand that he has never abused his authority. Can you thank God for that this morning? God has never manipulated. He's never manipulated anybody. He's never forced his way into anybody. Uh, you know what? God doesn't do that. God doesn't come with, uh, with force. He comes riding on a donkey, lowly, humbly. He's the king. And you say, well, how can, he, how can the king be so powerful if he's lowly and humbly? Well, it doesn't strip him of his kingship. He was still humble. And so Jesus never forces you to do anything. He never, causes, uh, he never comes and manipulates you. Now, he does have a line. He says, you know, if you don't trust me, you don't go to heaven. If you don't trust me, you don't have life eternal. You don't have the things that I'm offering to you. But he's never going to force his way on you. And so it is laid out before you. And I think God's pursuing us today and he's working. And I think so, so many times in our life we see the humble workings of God and we get upset because it's not this great powerful work. And many times God does do powerful works. But many times he works in humble ways. If, if our king came in humility, how much more should we come in humility? How about when we go to work tomorrow, when you go to work on family issues, when you go to work on anything, uh, how, how much more would hum, humility be? Uh, you know, humility is to come home and to, and to be power under control. And to, and to work together. And, and that's what humility does. Humi- Listen, when I, when I watch humility in action, it's attractive. You cannot, it, it's, it's amazing. You, you love humble people. You don't love the guys, you know, you, you don't want somebody that says, oh, I'm no good, I can't do anything. That's not humility. And humility is not like, oh, you know. Humility is this power under control. And when you see that, when you see that in a leader, you're attracted to that. When you see that in a spouse, you're attracted to it. When you see that, okay, action was taken, we did what we had to do, this is a, but I'm humble in how I do it. I don't have to flaunt anything. You see, God was still the God of the universe, but he was humble. Um, he, was, he didn't come riding on a conquering stallion. <clears throat> what he was doing, this was the promises of God were being fulfilled. He's saying, I am the king. And this, this promise from 500 years was being fulfilled. Um, look here at um, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, I want you to catch this, because as you go through the Old Testament, there were a, a ton of promises. And so when Paul writes that, he's saying, you go through and look at all those promises in the Old Testament, and they are yes in him. Oh, man. You know what? 
Here he comes. Your king comes riding lowly on a donkey. Yes. Amen. That's him. Amen means so be it. Yes and amen. And, you know, I want you to to realize today that the promises of God in his scriptures are still yes and amen for us today. I want you to consider just a few of them. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes and amen. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Wow. Yes and amen to that. Romans 8, 28 is a promise from God. Um, it says that, uh, that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love God. Do you know what that means in your life? You just had some bad things happen. It means that God did not leave his throne, and God is still working humbly in your life, and God is still in control, and God will take the bad that's happening in your life and work it for his honor, for his glory, for his good. Can we thank God for that this morning? That's the God that we serve. Yes, let's thank him. I mean, praise his name. We, we live in a world where there's so much bad, so many terrible things that we have to deal with. God did not leave his throne because something bad happened, folks. God is still on the throne. He is still in control. He is still the king. But he's riding on the donkey. And I want you to see this this morning. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And what he's saying is that if you seek him first, all, he'll take care of you. It doesn't mean that you'll get everything that you want. I think many people take Scripture and they read into it what it doesn't say. You know, seek first the kingdom of God, and I'll name it and claim it and get me, get me a Cadillac, right? No, it means that God's going to give you what you need. The orphans in Haiti right now, they're praying to God. They're seeking him first, and God gave them a bowl of rice. And God kept his promise, didn't he? And so for us, we, we've got to understand it doesn't mean that I'll get what I want but it means that God will provide. He'll be there. He will do what he said. Look at Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? Is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that powerful? Do, do you live in fear ever? Is somebody at work bothering you a little bit? Somebody in your job bothering you? How about the, your, your job's in jeopardy and you might lose your job? Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, he shall, uh, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, you, you, you have the safety in the hand of God. And so we come to him. These are the promises of God. <clears throat> and so the, as, we, as we continue on this morning, uh, th- this was the promise of God was being fulfilled. It was uh, this day they were coming and they were singing Hosanna. Matthew uses the word Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a- as they cheered that out, Hosanna, I want you to remember, Hosanna means save now. So they're cheering, save now, save now. The king is here. And, and, and many, listen, all those people who studied the Jewish scriptures, Remember, the Jewish children, they were schooled in the scriptures. And, and by 12, they had their bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvah. Uh, and, and so, and so they, ha- they had these things. And, and it was like, yeah, they, they had studied the scriptures. So they would recognize some of these things. And can you just imagine, there's 3 million people all over Jerusalem. And now they're coming in. Jesus is riding on a donkey. He's coming in humbly. It's very lowly. And what is happening is the arrival of the king. 
Uh, Matthew 21 says that when he came into Jerusalem, the city was moved. In other words, the city was shaken. The whole city was shaken. <clears throat> Think about this. There was, uh, there was not enough hotels to handle this. When Jesus was born, there was no room in the inn, right? But on this day, there's three million people. There's no room anywhere. There's shacks. People are living in little tents, little makeshift dwellings for, for a couple days to go through Passover. It's like, it, it's like the closer you get, the, the tighter it gets, and, and there's just people swarming. So when Jesus comes in that day, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was the fulfillment of the prophecy. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that the donkey would be ready. Go over there because there's a donkey, and just tell him that God's going to take it, and I tell you, they're not going to bother you. And he does. They take the donkey. They put him on the donkey. And he, and, you know, and, and I've always visualized that, that, that it's like this, that Jesus is just coming down and he's, he's sitting kind of sideways on a donkey and the 12 disciples, because that's how we always do it on the play, right? When you have the Easter plays, we always have the 12 disciples in this parade. But it was so much more than just the 12 disciples. I want you to catch it because it's like, it's like there's millions of people and they're surrounding. And as they get closer, he's coming in from the, from the east, coming over the Mount of Olives, coming into Jerusalem. And, and as, as they're all here and, and people hear, this is the king. They're, they're thinking this is the king. It's in their minds. And they're saying, save now. They're waving palm branches. It's a sign of Israel nationalism, if you will. And so they go out and they just cut the palm branches off. They're waving it. They're taking their clothes and they're giving the red, red carpet treatment, taking their outer garments and laying it down as the donkey rides across. And here he comes and there's the 12 disciples right behind him. But behind them come the 70 disciples. And then there comes the hundreds and then comes the thousands. And people just start joining this parade. And it's like this parade, all these people coming in. And it's like, wow, this, this big parade of people saying, yes, save now. This is our king. And so, so they're, they're coming into the city of Jerusalem. And they're seeing that, the, that this is their king. But it was in direct contrast to Pontius Pilate. You know, Jesus didn't come in on a stallion. He came in on a donkey. Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Rome. Israel was under the, under the Roman rule. So under the Roman rule, Israel would, would have to deal with this uh, because they're following their leadership. So what happened was the, the Roman government came, kind of made a deal with the Israelites and said, hey, we'll let, you, we'll let your religious people kind of be in charge. So they had, you hear the term Sanhedrin, that was a, a ruling authority, a ruling body. It was the Jewish religious leaders. So they would let these people be in charge up to a degree, but on these big days when three million people came in one spot, there wasn't going to be any thought that anybody was going to overthrow Rome. So Pontius Pilate comes from Caesarea, and he comes from the west, but he's coming in on chariots. He's got horses. He's got soldiers. He's got swords, and it's like this big, powerful statement, and you, and you see his his parade comes in. And so he's coming down from the, from the west. Jesus is coming from the east. One is lowly. One is mighty. And yet, Jesus, there's a direct contrast there because the arrival of the king, Pilate would come in from the west on power. Jesus comes in from the east on humility. And you know what he's saying? He's saying here that he is not just the king, but that he has a kingdom. You see, there's a contrast, the contrast between the power, between the control, and between the humility. Pilate was feared by the crowds. Jesus was cheered by the crowds. 
And it's important to remember that the religious leaders, they kind of came and they were going along with Rome just to get along. They were pacifying the Romans in order to get along to preserve their power. And Jesus makes it very clear that when he comes into our life, he wants there to be a contrast between his kingdom and your kingdom. And I ask you today, what kingdom are you a part of? There's two kingdoms, and you, you feel that. You, you feel what God wants, the humbleness, the lowliness, the, the directions that God has instructed us to do in his word. And then there's your kingdom. And you know where you feel that? You feel that tension in your schedule, don't you? you? You know, we live in such a busy world, and it's like, well, I don't have time to pray. And how many people have told me that? I just don't have time to pray. And I'm thinking, well, maybe you could give up something. Well, I, you don't understand. I have to have this, and, and my kids have to do this, and I got to do that. And, and so, okay. Well, there's the tension in whose kingdom. There's, a, there's going to be a, a moment of sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And, and, and then in our finances, well, you know, I, I, I want God to, to bless my finances, but I just go out and do whatever I, what I want. I, 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 you know, I, I want God to work in my relationships, but I'm not willing to do what he wants. I'm just going to do what I want. And there's all this tension. And so God's kingdom, and I want to ask you this morning, is he your king? Have you surrendered your kingdom to his? Have, have uh, you put him in charge? And he's in charge of your, your heart, your actions, everything. This is, this is big. This is, this is Jesus, folks. And so I want, I want, I want you to see that because that's what you see in Palm Sunday. Um, and, and then the next thing that I see this morning is that Jesus cried for the people. As he comes in, and, and you know, this morning, which procession are you in? Because he's crying for the people. He sees that they are cheering for him, but they're not necessarily understanding him. They, they, they're, they're ready for the save now. They're ready for this to happen. Look, look what he says here, Luke 19, 41. Now as he drew near, Jesus saw the city and wept over it. You know, there's, there's different kinds of crying. And there's different words. In English, I can tell you that I cried, and I can tell you that I sobbed, right? Two different kind of crying. When Jesus wept in John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible, first verse I memorized, uh, when Jesus wept over there, the Greek word there is he cried, meaning he cried. When Jesus cried over Jerusalem, the Greek word is sobbed. He sobbed uncontrollably. He was overcome, the tears. And so here's Jesus coming down. You could just imagine it. They're waving palm branches, save now, save now. There's, there's thousands of people that are joining in this, and it's the excitement, it's electric. And he comes in, and he sees the city of Jerusalem, and he just starts crying. And he's just, just bawling his eyes out. And look what he says as he's bawling his eyes out. He says, if only you had known. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem here. If only you had known, even you, especially in this your day, that the things that make for peace. If only you knew. If only you understand that I've come to make peace and that my peace is going to go through Good Friday, which nobody thought was good on Good Friday. Um, you know, if only you understood that. If only you understood what was coming. He says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Um, you know, when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, he did this great miracle, and the people were excited to follow him because of his miracle, but they did not understand the lowliness, the humbleness, and where he would end up having to go. Look at verse 43. For days will come. When, uh, upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They will surround you. They will close in on every side. They will level you. 
Uh, they, they will level you and your children with you and to the ground and then will not leave you in one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem didn't understand what was coming. They did not know about 70 A.D. This was 33 A.D. They didn't understand in less than 40 years they would fall completely. That they would be decimated. And you go back and you just, you just Google search Jerusalem 70 A.D. And you'll see all the destruction of Jerusalem. They did not know. God knew. Jesus knew. And he's crying for the people. He's like, if they only understood the suffering servant. You see, Jesus wasn't coming to free Israel from Rome. He was coming to free every man and woman from sin. He had a greater, if it was just a political for a few million people, that's pretty cool. But he, he, his mission was not for just a few million people, but for every one of the billions upon billions of people that have ever lived in history. He came to set us free, and he came to set you free. You see, this was the Lamb of God. He was set apart this was on, on this Palm Sunday. Five days later was Passover. They would sacrifice the lamb. This was the day that all the Jewish people would come and they would select their lamb. And if you go and you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that not only would they select their lamb, but they would keep it in their house or keep it with them for five days so that they could make sure that the lamb was spotless without blemish, that this was really the best choice of a clean lamb. Do you know what happened on Palm Sunday? God's lamb was coming down and it was being presented to the people. Five days later, the lamb of God would be slaughtered. This was the lamb of God. This was your lamb. This was the only perfect lamb of God, the sinless, the spotless lamb of God. So he comes down and the presentation is made and five days later, they had no clue they had no clue what was going to happen. They, they had no understanding. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. He was sacrificed for us. Over in Psalm 118, this is a messianic prophecy. They didn't understand. The people didn't understand that he would have to go through this suffering. Here was Psalm 118, 25. It says save now. It's the same word, Hosanna. You go from Hebrew to Greek, all right? The New Testament is written in Hebrew, uh, in Greek, Old Testament written in Hebrew. Save now. You can put in there Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they were quoting on the streets that day. They're quoting the scripture, and they don't understand that save now isn't going to happen now. It's not going to be freedom from Rome now. And I want to share with you that whatever you're going through in your life, that issue may not be saved now. But God has done something greater than saved now. He saved forever. Amen? You're saved forever. And so what he wants you to do, he wants you to come to him, and he wants you to humble yourself. Psalm 118, 19 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. So today I want to share with you this, that, that, that if you are waiting on if your Christianity is just about a ticket into heaven after you die, I feel like you're missing something. You're missing this verse. Open the gates of righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sin, 
He opened the gates of righteousness for you. You have been declared righteousness in the sight of a holy God if you've trusted him. And now he wants you to walk in his righteousness. That doesn't mean I'm no longer going to do, and I have this list of do's and don'ts. No, it means, look, there's the fullness of joy. There's the right things that God has. You know, when you get around the right things, it tastes so good. It feels so good. It is the way that you want to go. And I invite you this morning to submit to the king humbly. He's lowly, riding on a donkey. And he's done all this, not so that it can be saved now, but that it can be saved forever. So that your joy may start now and may last forever. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to trust Jesus Christ. On this Palm Sunday, remember, he says, I am the king. All his actions, it was loud and clear. The Old Testament, the prophecies, the promises of God, they all pointed to Jesus is saying, I am the king. And then on Thursday and Friday, we see him go through, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we see him go through the trial. We see him go through the Uh, We see him go through the cross. We see him die on the cross. I want to invite you to come back here on Friday. We're going to celebrate Good Friday because it was good for our soul that Jesus died on the cross. Had he not went to there as the Lamb of God. God chose the Lamb on Palm Sunday. On God, on Good Friday, we see the Lamb has been slaughtered. And so today I'm, I'm going to ask you to open your heart to Jesus. I think there's a struggle in all of our hearts. Whose kingdom? Is it what you want to do or is it what God wants you to do? Are you trying to put God in the box that he has to do this or he's not God? Or you're just going to let everything go? You're going to drop everything because he let you down? Or are you going to come to him and you're going to say, okay, I too need to come humbly. I need to come lowly like my master did. So I invite you to humbly come to Jesus this morning. Would you open your heart to him? And if that's you, you say, Pastor Ken, I've not opened my heart to Jesus. I want, I want to invite him into my life today. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you just to pray along with me and start the journey. And if that's you, just pray something like this. Dear, dear Jesus, I come to you. You're the king. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, I trust you. And I give you my kingdom. I want you to be the king of my life. The king of my heart. The king of my actions. The king of my attitudes. You died on a cross. And you paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And I trust you right now with my life. For others in this room this morning, maybe you've been a follower of Christ for some time, but humility hasn't been there. Or maybe you've been struggling with the humility of how God works. Maybe you've given up on the promises of God because you didn't think it was happening the way it should happen. Can we surrender to the King this morning? Just take a brief moment and write an action plan. What is your action plan to the Lord? 
Just write it on your heart. Go home and write it down on a piece of paper and say, Lord, what am I going to do today as a result of understanding your king? What actions and attitudes must change about my heart? God, give me the strength and the power to do it. God, be honored by your people. Lord, I pray right now there's decisions that are being made in this room right now, Lord, that are going to change eternity. Somebody's life was just changed this morning, God, and we don't take it lightly. God, there's people that have been following you for some time that are making decisions to submit to your kingship to submit to your submit their kingdom to yours. God, I pray you bless them. I pray that they will see you in a way that only you can show them because it doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. But when we humble ourselves to your kingdom, Lord, oh, the joy we get to walk in. Open the gates of righteousness to our people, Lord. Open the gates that they may know you and the power of your resurrection. In your blessed name we pray. Join us Friday evening. We'll be here at 7 o'clock, about an hour, hour and a half, hour, 15 minutes. We're going to come. We're going to worship. We're going to have communion and just praise his name. Focus on, on the cross on Friday night. And then Saturday, join us here as we'll be part of billions of people around the world honoring the resurrection of Jesus. God bless you. You are dismissed.